We're talking about how to stand in faith. A lot of people fail as they're believing God for things, but it really is not their faith that's failing. It goes deeper than that. You have to understand some things so that you can stand in faith. You know, we started this whole series, Ephesians chapter 6, having done all to stand, stand. A lot of people, because they don't prepare to stand before the battle gets there, they, they, don't, they don't stand during that battle. So God wants you to walk in victory all the time. He has no plans for you to go backwards. He has no plans for you to walk in defeat. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 1, it says this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. I love that. Faith, never forget this. Faith is very precious. Faith comes only one way. Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing God's word. But faith is established in our life. How is it established? It's literally established by righteousness. See, a lot of times people will go, yep, you know what, I'm believing God. But what happens is if they don't really believe that they're seated with Christ in heavenly places and that Jesus was made to bear their sin so that they would be made the righteousness of God. If you don't understand who you are, you might let go because you think, well, I'm not worthy or I messed up and I, 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 you know, I don't deserve this or whatever. And, and all of that is not the issue. So your faith, although it comes by hearing God's word, it's established in your life by righteousness, by the fact that you as a child of God, God has declared you righteous. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. As we go on, or let's, you could actually say it this way. Righteousness is like a platform for faith. Okay, so just keep that in mind and let's keep reading here. It says, who have obtained like precious faith with us. How did we obtain it? Through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. How have we obtained this like precious faith? It says it right here, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. And this word, this word, this Greek word, epignosis, it, it literally means correct and precise knowledge. So, so God wants you to know him. He wants you to know exactly who he is, exactly what he's provided, exactly how to walk it out. All of these things. Grace and peace, not added, but multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us. His divine power hath given unto us. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice that's past tense. You and I as a Christian have been given all things already. So if you have been given something, that means you own it right now. Right? So right now as you sit here, 
You may not feel like it, but the reality of it is, unless God's a liar, and not only is he not, he won't lie, he won't change. The Bible says he can't. So it says he hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And then he says this, how it comes to us, it comes through the knowledge. This is another Greek word for knowledge. It literally, it, it literally means to come you come to this knowledge through and to full discernment as you basically are walking it out in your life. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. And then he says this in verse 4, whereby, or you could say by which or through which, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by these promises in the word of God, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What is this, the corruption that's in the world? That's, that's the sin that we were locked into, the, or I should say it this way, the spiritual death that we were locked into. But we're not going to be able to partake of his divine nature until we've escaped the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Thank God now for us as children of God who are born again, the power of sin's been broken over our life. Sin will no longer have dominion over us. Isn't that good news? So now I can come to the word of God as a spiritually alive child of God. I'm a child of God born into his family and I could partake of his very nature because of all these promises in the word. That's amazing. It's amazing. So it goes on and it talks about a lot of things. You know, and, and we won't keep going here, but I want you to see you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness as a child of God. And now you've been given promises by God that through these, you could be a partaker of his very nature. See, you already have his very nature because you're born again, right? You've been born again. The Bible says we're born again by the incorruptible seed. When we believed what the word of God said, that Jesus died for our sins, right? That, that God the Father raised him from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of his Father right now. And as we proclaim him as our Lord, he, the Holy Spirit comes into us and he resides permanently on the inside of us after making us a new creation. The old spirit man that we were that was dead and separated from God is taken out. Everything becomes new. I no longer have a sin nature. You no longer have a sin nature. Now, you have a sin nature in your flesh, but no longer in your spirit. Right And oh, if you'll take the word of God and renew your mind, what happens now is your spirit man develops, you're renewing your mind, and now you keep, just keep your flesh under. Now someday we'll get a glorified body that won't have that nature in it anymore. That'll be wonderful. But until then, we can still, see, I've escaped this spiritual death. I'm no longer spiritually dead. You know, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just read these scriptures. I know you guys have heard this before. 
but you gotta know to walk by faith, you have to know who you are. You have to know who you've been made. Second Corinthians chapter five, look at verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. One translation says creation. In the Greek, it, you could, you could uh, translate it creature. It, it literally means a new species of being, one that's never existed before. Now, what are we talking about here? Obviously, when we got saved, did your hair color change? Did you change physically? No. But what are we talking about? The new birth is a rebirth of your spirit, right? So this, this, this rebirth of your spirit, it says here, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. What is that? That old sin nature that was residing, that's who you were, you were spiritually dead, that's all passed away. The self-centered life is all passed away. And now, behold, all things are become new. New where? New on the inside. You're not the same person you were. I, I loved this song growing up, Amazing Grace. But when I came to the revelation of what the Word of God says, I can no longer sing who saved a wretch like me. Now, I was a wretch. But when I got saved, the wretch was done away with. And now I'm brand new. I'm a man with no past. I'm a brand new spirit being. Made in the image and likeness of God the same way Adam and Eve were made. Right? We're going to get into it, but if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll go there, I believe, if the Lord... Uh, it's kind of stern, so we might get there. But um, in Genesis 1, 26, it says that God made man in his, in his image and in his likeness. In his image... And in, in his resemblance, if you were to see God and look at man, he, he looks like man. He has hands, he has front parts, back parts. I mean, I'm sure it's like, he's like nothing we've ever seen glorious, the God of the universe, right? You know, it's really amazing. Have you ever read in the Bible, I've just been, all day today, just, it's kind of been rolling around on the inside of me that the heavens declare the glory of God. Do you ever notice how we're, we're, we're in the Bible, it says he stretched out the heavens. And we just read over that like it's no big deal. But do you know it wasn't until the 21st century that technology caught up with it? Until they figured out that the heavens are stretching out. That all these galaxies and everything are being stretched out. But who stretched them out? The God of heaven, right? Well, guess what? I, I've been made in his resemblance, in his image, but also in his likeness. In his likeness, part of that Hebrew word talks about conduct, behavior, the way we walk. Notice it says image first. If you don't know who you are, you'll never be able to walk, walk it out. It's always image first. You have to know who you are in Christ. Why am I spending so much time on this? Because if you have a sin consciousness, it's going to be really hard for you to walk by faith. Because it'll be really hard for you to have a sin consciousness 
and think you're this lowly worm. God doesn't look at you that way anymore. God judged sin in the body of Jesus, Romans chapter 8, once and for all. He's satisfied. He's never going to judge sin again in you. When you stand before God, all that's going to be judged are your works, the judgment seat of Christ, and your works will be judged, right? We don't, we don't work for salvation. I, I was, we were just in a meeting in Harlan, Iowa, and, and one of, just one of my great friends and teachers in Bible school, he made this statement. He goes, he goes works is not the root of salvation, but works are the fruit of salvation. So now I just work out what God's working in. But see, I'm not working for salvation. It's not where, gosh, if I just do everything right, then God's going to hear my prayer. That's a sin consciousness. You have to have a righteousness consciousness. What is righteousness? Righteous, well, you know, let's just read this, and then we'll define it. So it says here, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. Verse 21 for he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. It literally means to bear our sin. He bore the sins of all mankind. Every sin, any man who has ever lived and whoever will live, it was all put on Jesus. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, different Greek word, that we might be made the very righteousness of God in Christ. So now, Jesus was made to be sin so that now, I it's, it was a mutual exchange. So he, he took my sin and he took it and then he gave me his righteousness. So now I am made, I've been made righteous. I can't, I can't do something to become righteous. Romans chapter 4 tells us God only justifies or declares righteous one class of human being, and that is the ungodly. Thank God, because that covered all of us. But, and, and how did we become righteous? This is what we had to do. We had to believe what God said, and, and, and through, through the fact that I believe what God said, I'm made righteous, just the way Abraham was. He was made righteous through faith. He simply believed God. So now that I'm righteous, this is the platform for my faith because now I can stand in the presence of my Father without any sense of guilt, condemnation, shame, as if sin never existed in my life. That's what righteousness, a righteousness consciousness will do. And you have to know that because you have to know who you are. Look at Jesus in the, in, in the garden, or I'm in the wilderness after he received the, the Holy Spirit. He gets baptized, water baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. We learn later that he had the Spirit without measure. First thing the Holy Spirit does is he leads him up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When the enemy comes to Jesus, he always attacks his identity first. If you be the Son of God. Command that these stones be made bread, right? That's the way he's going to come at you. And we have to be ready with the word of God to respond to that. We take thoughts captive because we know that's how Satan comes at us. 
right? The wiles of the devil, right? He travels down one road one way. He throws thoughts at your mind for the purpose of penetrating through your mind so that he could scramble the mind and, and confuse it. It, it. It's that word noemata in the Greek, it literally means mind games or mind schemes. So we know when he comes at me with something that's not God's word, I can take that captive by it is written. Right? So when I'm weak and I feel weak and everything is screaming in my mind, I'm weak, I don't have enough strength to do this, I rise up and say, no, it's written. Father, I thank you that I'm strong in you and in the power of your might. Right? Or if I'm in a situation and it's not working out and all this stuff and, I'm, and, and everything within me, just those thoughts, this is not going to work out and what's going to happen? And that's when I, I right in the middle of that, because I, I believe God's word in my heart, I come out of my spirit, man, I say, it is written, Father, I thank you that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That when it looks like I'm going to lose, that I could rise up and say, no, Father, I thank you that it is written. In your word that you always cause me to triumph. The greatest and foundational revelation that you're going to have to walk in is that the God of heaven loves you. You'll never be able to walk by faith without it. He, so, so I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you all the time about how that God loves you. None of us have the ability to do anything on this earth to make God love us anymore. Now, as we follow him, oh, it pleases him. What really pleases him is when we're positioned so he can get over to us everything he's already provided. Because he's gracious. He always is disposed to show us favors. But we got to know this. We got to know that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Right? So let's back this up with an Old Testament scripture that's awesome. Go to Isaiah 43. We've already been there once, but let's, let's go back to Isaiah 43. We're going to look at verse 25. Hallelujah. See, what is the objective of righteousness? Never forget this. The objective of righteousness is to bring you into perfect fellowship with your Father. That's what He desires. So, it's, you're not going to be able to do this. See, you, you can't walk in perfect fellowship with him if you don't know who you are. You're God's child. Christianity is not a religion, even though it's classed as one. It's a relationship. It's religion is, is man trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. No, that's not Christianity because we couldn't be, Right? Christianity is God and man were separated because of sin and God had to send his son to die for our sin so that now he had a legal right to come in our life. Man, I'm telling you, you've received salvation. That's the greatest miracle. That's all you need. You've already been given in salvation everything. And as you come to the knowledge of the truth, you're going to learn how to lay hold of it. That's the walk of faith. So many people give up on their faith. It's not because they, they don't believe the word's true. They just don't, they, Satan gets them because they sit there and go, yeah, okay, the word might be true, but I just, I'm unworthy. And they buy some lie that for some reason what they did makes them unworthy. 
And see, here's the, the key to all this. You know, this, this what we call today of a hyper-grace message. Everybody runs around and talks about how, well, you know, this is, then there was a hyper-grace message in Jesus' day. He hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It says it in the book of Revelation. Nicholas, he was, you know, uh, this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and it's funny, the, the word Nicolaitans literally means to conquer the laity. It conquers a person. And what he would say is, listen, in order to minister to somebody, you've got to partake in the same sin. And it's okay because, you know, uh, you could sin in your body and it won't affect your spirit and it's all good. But what that would do is destroy people's lives. See, the grace of God doesn't, empower, doesn't give you a license to sin. It actually empowers you to walk holy before God. We always look at this thing different. We look at Romans chapter 3 and go, that, that chapter's all about sin. No, it's all about righteousness. Right? It's all about how that God declared the ungodly righteous. When we come to him and simply believe that Jesus paid the price, we're made righteous. Well, now as we come here to Isaiah 43, look at what it says. In verse 25, Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I... Even I am he that blotteth out. This word blotteth out literally means to erase. I, even I am he that blotteth out or erases thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. And then in verse 20 he says, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou might be justified that thou might be declared righteous. To stand in faith. See, God has a plan for your life. And he has a future for every one of us here. But to embrace your future and walk by faith, to go lay hold of these things he's given you, you have to let go of your past. You can't carry your past into your future. It's impossible to do it. So this is why we're talking about this tonight. This is so very, very important. In order to walk into your future, you have got to let go of the past. And to let go of the past, you must believe that you've been declared righteous, that old things have been passed away and now everything's new. And when the enemy comes at you, he's coming at you as a child of God. You're God's property. You're in him. And I'm telling you, a righteousness consciousness, you will not put up with anything less than what Jesus has provided for you. Right? I mean, that's just, that just is in you. So let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 13. Look at what Paul says to the church, uh, to the Philippian church. He says this, in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute, Paul, you said one thing. And then you started listing some things. This one thing I do, I forget what's behind me, and what am I doing? I, I press, I'm pressing forward for the mark of the high calling that's in Christ. 
But in reality, that's only one thing. You can't press unless you forget the past and you let it go. You have to do that. So this is so, so big. you got to realize that you have been declared righteous by God. When you speak the word of God, all of heaven oversees it. And the word of God is forever settled in heaven. And God is no respecter of persons, so whosoever will, let him come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Run over to Colossians. Go over to Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at this really quick. Colossians chapter 1, you're almost there. In verse 13, it says, it's talking about, talking about what happened to you and I when we got saved. Who hath delivered us, Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, hath, again, I have, past tense, been delivered from the power of darkness. That word power means the delegated influences of darkness. I've, I've been delivered from that. And, but it doesn't stop there. Where else does it go? And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, now this is what happens though. We come in right when we're born again. We're now in the kingdom of God. The power of darkness has been broken over our life, but the illusion of bondage will still be there. You might have circumstances, some things going on. You might feel like, man, I'm still not happy, all this stuff. This illusion of bondage continues, but as you meditate in the word of God, the Holy Spirit will bring revelation to you and will show you how free you are. See, as you grow in God, your righteousness does not grow. Your, your righteousness is a position you have with God. But as you grow in the Lord, you'll become more aware of what that position is. Does that make sense? You'll become more aware that, wait a minute, I'm in the kingdom of God. There is no lack in the kingdom. There is no sickness and disease in the kingdom. See, what... Why could Jesus feed 5,000 men and their family with five loaves and two fishes? Because wherever he went, that's where the kingdom of God was. And there's no lack in the kingdom. Right? So this is why whenever the kingdom is taught, he went around teaching, preaching, and healing. Healing's always a result. You know, when we get to heaven, there's, there's no medical centers there. Right? Yeah. And Dr. Ruth Three goes, praise God. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's going to be no feeble there. That's why healing, if you study the atonement, listen, it doesn't start for us when we get to heaven. It's now. It's right now. We are now a child of God. So we've been transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. So go back to Ephesians now, chapter 1, and I, I kind of see where, what, what kind of case the Lord's kind of building here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. This is awesome. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says this. It says, According as he hath chosen us. That, that word chosen means literally handpicked. Who has he handpicked? Every human being who has ever been born into this earth. 
He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Isn't that awesome? So now, let's jump down a little bit more, go to verse 16, and now we're going to see a, a prayer that Paul prays for these Ephesians. In verse 16, Paul says this. Well, I'll read verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He ceased not. He prayed this, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, he prayed that he may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Why? So that the eyes of your understanding, this, this Greek word understanding literally means so that the eyes of your spirit would be flooded with light. Well, where does that light come from? It comes from God's word. That It says here that the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is that? That's God's plan for your life. God wants you to know that. But that's not it. He keeps going, and it says, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He wants you to know you've been given an inheritance. That you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right? And, but that's not it. And then it says, and what is the exceeding greatness of, of his power to usward who believe. God wants you to know when you believe his word and speak it out of your mouth, that power, it, it's right there. It brings the power of God right on the scene to cause your life, the circumstances to change and come in line with what those promises are, right? So three things it does, but now let's keep going with this. It says here, and what is the exceed, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, now let's keep going, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Isn't that good news? In the heavenly places. Far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. And then he says this, and has put all things under his feet. That's good. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which his body, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So this tells me that God set Jesus at his own right hand. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's the head of the church, which is his body. And Satan is under his feet. Now, if you saw me driving my car down Blondo, would you look over, like, let's say... Let's say uh, Lisa saw, saw me fly by in my car. Would she go, hey, there goes Pastor Tony's head? She wouldn't do that, would she? She'd go, there goes Pastor Tony. 
See, Jesus is the head. We're the body. We're one with him. And Satan is under our feet. You have, you have to meditate on this because the Bible says, see, if, if we're the body of Christ and Satan is far, far below our feet, then every enemy that you have in this life is way below where you are. Already defeated in your life. You have to know this because the progression in the New Testament, it's like this. Everything must bow and come in line with the word of God because of who I am in him. So this is why, listen, I'm not trying to get prosperous. Because I'm in him, I already am prosperous. And because I'm prosperous... Now, all this poverty and lack has to get out of my life. Now, it won't leave unless I make it. I'm not trying to get healed. Satan loves that. You know, he loves for you to walk around going, yeah, you know what? I just really believe that God is going to heal me. Well, you'll never have faith for that. Because there's not one Bible verse that says that God's going to heal you. There's not one. You're all looking at me, what? No, no, there's a whole bunch of them that says he already has. And now it's not a matter of him healing you, it's a matter of you just simply receiving it. No, faith never denies the circumstance, but faith will always deny the, 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 the sickness or the disease. It denies its right to stay in my body. So now I am the healed, and now sickness and disease, you've got to leave my body because of who I am in Christ. Do you see why? And it's not, see, none of it is based on me. All of it is based on what Jesus did. This is why you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus just like you are. Here I am, Lord, I know, I'm a big mess. And as big of a mess as I think I am, you really know how big of a mess I am. And he smiles at you and goes, don't worry about that. My son took care of all that mess. You just, you just do this. You just get your eyes on me and let me show you and tell you and feed you on how much I love you, on how much you're mine. And oh, in the process, while your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you're, you're seeking me because you just are learning that I'm irresistible. And while you're doing that, I'm going to straighten out all that junk. And according to Proverbs 11.31, guess what? You're now righteous, so the righteous will be repaid while they're in the earth. So listen, you just keep trusting me. I'll bring back everything that the enemy stole from you with damages. No toil. Why? Because he just loves you. That's Christianity. So which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all? Now let's keep going. Ephesians chapter 2 Look at verse 4. Ephesians 2, 4. This is awesome. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, this, mean, this means an inexhaustible supply of mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us, that means made us alive together with Christ. What? When was I made alive? 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. 
See, this is why we do water baptisms and ordinance of the church. I love it here because we do it during worship. You know, and, and it's so cool because when a person goes under, it's signified that when Jesus went into the grave, I went into the grave. And when he came out of the grave, when he came out of the grave, I came out of the grave to newness of life. See, so look at this. It says it right here. He quickened us. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. See, I'm made alive in Christ. And it says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So, did it say made us stand or made us sit? Okay, so now this is big. Do you know how many verses are in the Bible that tell you that an angel no matter how high of a class of angel, does it ever mention an angel sitting around the throne of God? There's not one mention of it. They stand in the presence. There's cherubs that fly around the throne, but never sit. You don't sit in the presence of a king. You don't walk in and just sit. But we do. Because when you're dealing with royalty, royalty sits. But isn't Jesus the king of kings? Well, that'll even mess with your unrighteous thinking. But don't worry about that. We're not trying to build ourselves up as anything because I'm a king of kings, not because of anything I did. It's all because of what he did. This is amazing. So now you are seated with Christ. I mean, you don't go in the presence of a king and sit. You go in the presence of a king and you stand there and you make your request known. And the only way you'll ever sit is if he says you could sit. But you're seated with Christ. This is why he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. In other words, you bind it on the earth and I'll back it up in heaven. Right? We have the name of Jesus and, and we could put Satan at bay. This is so very important that we, that we understand that. Why? Because if you don't understand who you are, you'll never be able to stand in faith. You'll, you'll, you'll succumb to the circumstances of it all. And if you don't understand who you are, you'll get into spiritual pride and think some of it's because of you. And then it, then it gets really messy, right? And hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Now, it, get, it keeps going. It gets better and better and better. But we don't want to keep going and get lost here. I want you to see this Genesis chapter 1 scripture. So now keep some things in mind, what we're saying. As a born-again child of God, you've been taken out of the delegated influence of darkness, and now you're in the kingdom of God. You've been raised together with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places, far above the enemy and all of that satanic hierarchy. This is, this is not what we're saying. This is what God said. And it's all because of Jesus. 
Now go back to Genesis chapter 1 and let's look at verse 26. I want you to see this. Because Jesus got back everything that Adam lost. It says here in Genesis 1.26, And God said, let us, like, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Thank God we have been given dominion over creeps. <laughs> and the main creep that goes to and fro in all the earth that we have dominion over is Satan. But if you don't have a revelation of your image, you're never going to be able to walk in the dominion that he's given you. Do you see that? You'll start to think, if I do this, then God will do this. And, 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 and the bad thing about that is, is you always mess up. And then Satan's right on your shoulder going, oh man, you've messed up again. And, and, and if you're not careful, you'll start to run away from God instead of running to him if you mess up. And if you'll notice, I've been walking with the Lord. Now, I've written books. I've been at concerts, got the t-shirt. I, I, I bet I've done things where Satan's like, wow, I need to take notes. That's really something. I, I, I've been around for a long time and I've never thought of something so stupid, right? And, and here's the cool thing. Do you know God has never got down on me for anything I've ever done? He's always like this. Okay, Tony, I want you to forget that. Let's go. I got a plan for your life. Just repent of that. Confess it before me. Let's get this fellowship thing back. Relationship never changed, but the fellowship was hindered because God doesn't, he doesn't fellowship with darkness at all. But, but 1 John 1, 9, you can get that right out of your life. And then he goes, he's the God, according to James, that gives to all men liberally, more than you need, more than you ask him for, and he upbraids you not. That Greek phrase means he doesn't get down on you for the mess you've created. He's a big fixer of messes. But if you have a sin consciousness, you're going to try to fix your mess. Nightmare. Don't do that. Let him do it. He can't, you cast the whole of your care on him because he cares for you. And when you realize who you are in him, that's when you will tap in to this ability and power and grace. The grace of God will now empower you to walk holy. And you'll just run after him. You'll, you'll live in the word of God. You'll meditate in it day and night. Why? Because he's just so good. And I know he has a plan for me. And I know all things are possible to me because I simply believe him. It's wonderful. So, and it, this is big, he made man in his image and likeness and he gave man dominion. So now let's look at what this dominion means as we're kind of coming down the hill here. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. I hope tonight that you leave here with a sense that my life is going to be brand new from now on. I'm not buying all these lies of the enemy. I know God loves me. I know he's for me. It says it over and over and over. 
I know all things are possible to me. And I know he's a God that reveals his plan to me. And the mighty Holy Spirit who's on the inside of me is greater than anything I'll ever face. And he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. In Romans 5.17, it says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned by the one, much more, and it literally means so much more it shouldn't be compared, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Amplified, it'll talk about being reigning as a king. For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with themselves, reign as kings in life. Not reign as kings in the sweet by and by. You're to reign as a king now. How does a king reign? A king decrees something and it comes to pass. A king does not, if he wants a ditch dug, he doesn't go get a shovel. Right? He speaks it. And that's how we are to reign in life. The word reign means to have full and superior dominion. What do I have to do to do that? Receive the abundance of grace, and, which is the finished work of Jesus, and the gift of righteousness. I did both of those at salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that we have access into this grace. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we're able to stand and rejoice in the glory of God. It's really wonderful. So isn't this amazing? If you go down to verse 21, it says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So now let's keep going with this thought. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, because you got to see this. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 17. In 1 John 4, 17, it says this. Herein is our love made perfect, or is our love brought to maturity, that as we have boldness, or I'm sorry, that we may have boldness, this means that we may have confidence and assurance in the day of judgment. Now, is this talking about the judgment seat of Christ? No. This word judgment in the Greek means in the day of crisis. The day of crisis, let me prophesy over you. June 14th will be your next full day of crisis. Right now in your life, it's June 13th. Here, I'll even prophesy some more. Two days from now, it'll be June 15th. But the Bible says, if you look at this, herein is our love made perfect so that we could have boldness, so that I could have confidence in my day of crisis. So that means I walk through my whole life and I have boldness, confidence in any crisis that I'll face. 
Why? If you keep going with this, because as he is, as he is, this is talking about Jesus. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. Wow. Why is that? Because I walk in this world in Christ, in his authority. Now, does that mean I'm God? Oh, no, no, no. But it does mean I'm his child. The Bible says I'm one spirit with him. And, and right now, I'm seated positionally with him in heavenly places, but as I walk in the earth, as he is, so am I in this world. I could use his name, and it's exactly as if he's here. He will back up everything that he spoke in his word as I speak it. Do you see that? You could take the word of God and change your whole life. Because, not because you're anything, but this is, the, this is the walk of faith. Listen, when you're standing in faith, having done all to stand, you stand, you're standing on a sure foundation. It's the word of God which cannot fail. And the God of the universe, Jesus, he created everything. He's the one who stretched out the heavens. Right now, the word of his power is holding everything together and he is the one backing you. This is why you could stand in faith. I mean, cancer's a big word. Stage four cancer's even bigger, but it's nothing compared to Jesus. Right? I'm, I'm, it's never too late. Never too late. And we have to know this. This is so, so very important. So let's go to one more scripture. I just want to read a story here. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 14, and we'll close with this story. I just want to read this. Hallelujah. In verse 22, this talks about Peter walking on the water. Guys, this is a, this is a picture of you and I. God's plan for your life is out of the boat walking on the water. Right? So here we go. Now you got to understand the background of this story. You know, all these guys grew up in the region of the Galilee. And their, and their whole educational system was built around the law of Moses, the Old Testament. So when they would go to school, there was like four different levels of school. And at the end of one, like they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. But by the end of that, only the cream of the crop of the top of the class would go on in school. The rest of them would be told, go home and get in your parents' business. And then they would go to the next level, and then they would keep going. And by the end, I mean, you know, you're talking about young men that have memorized the whole Old Testament, and, and, but only the cream of the crop would be left. And then, if they wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, they'd have to go to a rabbi, and they'd have to be interviewed. And the rabbi would interview them orally, just grilling them. And what he was trying to find out is not, what do you know only? Now, they had to know it, but he was really looking for this young man. He was trying to go, do I really believe this young man can do what I do? And if one was really sharp, and he's looking at this young man. You know, he's, he's now a teenager, 16, 17, 18 years old, and he's thinking, I think this guy is, this kid, he can do what I do. He would say to that young man, come, follow me. 
Peter, James, and John never heard that. They were fishermen. They were helping their dad, right? Uh, James and John, brothers, helping their dad. Peter's a fisherman. So they obviously didn't make the cut. And then here comes Jesus, and he comes up to Peter at one point in his life, and he said, Peter, come follow me. What that meant in that culture is, Peter, I believe that you can do what I can do. If you don't understand that, you won't understand this. So now here we fast forward, Peter's following Jesus. So straightway Jesus, verse 22, constrained his disciples uh, to get in a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So he sends the guys out in a boat to go to the other side. He sends the multitudes away. Then after they're gone, he goes up into a mountain and prays. So now evening's come, and he was alone. But the ship, verse 24, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the, winds was, was, uh, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, so this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus went unto them. How did he go? Walking on the sea. I still remember. I asked the Lord this. I'm like, okay. Why in the world did he walk on water? Because I know there's got to be a reason. And the Lord took me to Job. This was years ago. It's the coolest thing. In Job, in the book of Job, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, the God of heaven treads upon the, the sea. So he was just being like his father. So he's walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him, verse 26, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway, or at once, Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I, be not afraid. Could you imagine these guys? Oh, wow, he's walking on water, right? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto thee on the water. Why would Peter say that? Because he heard, come follow me. So he heard Jesus say, listen, Pete, I believe you can do what I do. So he's like, you know, Peter kind of talked before he thought, right? But something was birthed in him. And he's like, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come. And now here we have the word of God, come. So he has God's word on this. And he said, come, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, this is pretty incredible. He had to climb out of the ship. And, and I mean, he climbed down, put his foot on liquid water, and just started walking to Jesus. But then look what happened. But, verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink now that's supernatural too isn't it have any of you guys ever jumped in a pool of water and began to sink <laughs> that'd look kind of weird wouldn't it just kind of like right so beginning to sink he cried saying lord save me immediately jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him O thou of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? This word doubt means 
Why did you waver mentally? He got in his head. So while he's looking at Jesus, he could walk on water. But the minute he started looking at something other than Jesus, he got afraid and he began to sink. But the minute he cried out, Jesus grabbed him. And then he said, O ye of little faith. It's literally the Greek word puny faith. It means a short burst of faith. Because remember, a faith is a grain of a mustard seed. You could say to a tree, be removed and cast into the sea. But you can't doubt in your heart. This is a picture of you and I walking, on, walking through life. God's path for your life, it's on a higher level. But in order to embrace the higher level, guys, you got to let go of the lower level. And what I'm saying is you have to, your walk of faith, it's all based on relationship. You have to know who you are in him, how much he loves you, how much he'll never leave you or forsake you, and how much he'll always back up his word. We are living in a Christian community. See, the word of God, doesn't it excite your spirit? I, I could tell, there's some of you right now, I could tell it's exciting your spirit. It's not like some emotional thing. We don't want entertainment. We want the anointing. Because God's called us to a higher place. But we got to let go of our past to embrace our future. You got to let go of this, what you, you know, maybe what you think your own self image. There's only one person that has a right to define who you are, and that's your creator. And he's defined it very clearly in that word. And he says he loves you. And you've been accepted in the beloved. And now you're a child of God, a citizen of heaven, an ambassador for Christ. You've been given the faith of God. You've been given the very nature of him and the fruit of the Spirit. And been made new. Sin's been done away with. And now you can stand in the presence of your Father. You always have his ear. The Bible says even when the Holy Spirit came into you with this brand new spirit man that you were, it said that he poured forth the love of God all over you. You're saturated in it. Are you saturated in it? Did he do that so that you'd love other people? No. He saturated you in his love so that you would know that he loves you. Because out of your re revelation that he loves you, that's how you love others. And that's how you trust him. We've got Christians, I'm afraid to honor God in my, in my finances because what am I going to do? And, and it's just, they don't know him. I'm so afraid if I forgive this person, I, I just, I can't do that because they really hurt me. No, no, you can do it. Because God is in your life. So I want to encourage you. you got to realize you're a child of God. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And he's always going to watch over his word to perform it in your life. And, and he's going to try to always position you. The Holy Spirit is always going to lead you and guide you in all the truth. So don't, don't say no to him. Always say yes. It's impossible for you to go backwards when you're following him. It might feel like it. 
It might even look like it, but oh, don't worry about that. The end result is it's always, you're always going to end up further. Amen?